0: you'd have a seat if you want. <coughs> Thank you. <laughs> um. <coughs> it's okay, right? and i'm not you're not seeing denial on my face of uh, the words Kelly just told us about it is well with my <laughs> with my soul. It's not resignation, it's a declaration. that's my take home today and um Vicky, before you get away you're um <laughs> My father said to me, it was a, a true treat <laughs> to sit next to him this morning and uh, and um, you may not know this, but my father was a pastor for like 150 years and, <laughs> and um, I was one of the kids in his church. And. Every Sunday, every Sunday. Dad, you know, the song I asked you to make sure we sing it today was I Surrender All. And uh, and here we are again singing that song, Dad. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I think of people like my dad. He's not the only one in this room by any stretch who truly live what we just sang. You've surrendered to Jesus Christ. And uh, you've surrendered all and it's not resignation it's a declaration you um you may be like my dad who said this morning that he um was up very i guess late last night or early this morning depending on your point of view and was thinking about heaven and thinking about what we what we just sang about so thank you jesus right thank you and uh It is well. <laughs> it may sound contradictory if you're not, um, if you're not new to the things of God and the truth of the scriptures and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Trust me to tell you that tears are mostly a splash, uh, uh, like a, like an overflowing of the joy and the satisfaction of, of truth. And, um, uh, the thing I wanted to tell Vicki, I think she snuck away, is that the, the songs, uh, be sure and tell Vicky that you can't sing those without the piano in a big, big way, right? <laughs> so, uh, Vicky knows that, and, um, you know, many of you have reserved Vicky for your memorial someday to make sure uh, that the songs are sung correctly, and... Uh, You know, we are so blessed as a church. We have Krista and a wonderful team of worship leaders. And of course, if you don't know, Krista is connected to Michael. Uh, That's her husband. And they're away on the youth retreat. So if you're connecting dots, that's where she and uh, several on the team that are normally up here. And thank you, Kelly and Randy and um, and Katie. Katie's still in the front row. And um, there's one more song at the end. We're going to save it, okay? But... um, I, um, it's one of those mornings where I just want to sob, and um, I'm just uh, grateful for God and for God's people, and um, I know you are too, and uh, I think the kids have already made their way out, yeah, they said, he's he's crying, let's get out of here quick, (laughs) (laughs) that's okay, right, (laughs) Well, I want to take you to uh, from one awkward moment to another. Um, <clears throat> uh, we've all been in this other awkward moment. We drive up to a stoplight at a freeway off ramp, and the light's red, which means you have to stop and um, sit there awkwardly, um, reading a sign that somebody's holding. In most off ramps, in most places in our country, I think, today. It's that moment where you're just thinking, darn, I wish that light was green, you know, and, and uh, so you could just sort of drive away quickly and, uh, and escape the moment. Um, it's uncomfortable to be sure. So while you're waiting, you have options, of course. Do you, do you smile at the person or do you look the other way pretending not to notice that they're there? I've done both. Um, I'm sometimes in those moments grateful that if Debbie's with me or somebody's with me, we can suddenly have this very involved conversation. <laughs> you know, your laughter tells me you've done it too. So um, the uh, the other option, of course, is to roll down your window and, and actually say something. And uh, you know, of course, um, you know... Uh, That also almost obligates you to do something, you know. And uh, then the light turns green, and you drive off. And if you're the one that rolled down your window, you're wondering to yourself, "What kind of Christian am I?" Any anyway, you know all those implications, and we've all wrestled with them. Um, I want to tell you a quick story of a friend of mine. This was a true story. He came off a a freeway off ramp, as I just described. there was a couple standing there side by side, and the woman looked very much pregnant. And uh, she had a big coat, top coat on, as I understood. Um, so he decided he just couldn't, couldn't live with himself. He didn't do something about this, and he rolled down his window. I think the sign said something to the effect, help us, uh, we're pregnant or we're with child, whatever it was. Um, so he rolled down his window, thought, I'm all in now. And and he said these words, if there's a baby under that coat, I'm going to take both of you shopping to meet every need you can imagine. Uh, The reason he asked if is because there was a certain uh, suspicion he had, an awkwardness. The bump seemed just too round uh, of this woman, and she kind of threw a glance at the man next to her and Looked down and this sheepishly revealed a soccer ball. True story. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of a bad joke, but maybe that's the new meaning of soccer mom. I don't really know, but anyway. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I tell you that story, it is true. It really was true, and he really did have plans. And he had done this before, he told me, uh, to take a couple and take them through Target and a grocery store and other stores and absolutely load their baskets, like uh, obligating him further to take them wherever they needed to go because they didn't have the means to haul all this stuff home. So he was legit. Um, But I I tell that story because... um, I wanted to expose something that um, happens, I think, in our hearts in moments like a need that's sort of screaming at us. We have a little bit of suspicion that gets in our way even at times of helping someone in need. Uh, you're, You're looking at one that sometimes has too much of that suspicion, and it leads to in action on my part, um, and maybe maybe you as well. So I think you're ready to open your Bible to Acts chapter three um, <clears throat> and meet a man who worked. Okay, I can use the word we use today. He worked uh, a high traffic spot near the temple in Jerusalem. That's where we find this nameless man. Um, and he did this daily. Um, but let me just say, to get it out in the open, his need was not only real and, uh, and true, but it was so severe that he could only sit at this, um, call it this, this high-traffic spot that he worked outside the temple. He could only sit there and repeat his appeal ad nauseum alms for the poor and lame. His story is told here in Acts 3. Um, I want us to watch, it'll be fairly obvious when we start reading, I want us to watch the reaction of two apostles. They are Peter and John some reason Luke highlights them. Luke is the author of this. We've sometimes referred to as his second gospel, the first one bearing his name, the second one also written by Luke, the physician. And it's a continuation gospel of how the church expanded for 30 years. It's all here in Acts, and we're going to go through all of it in, uh, in this year that we're studying together. So uh, Luke calls attention to Peter and to John. And um, let's, let's see their reaction and how they relate to this man who is asking for money. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, which was three in the afternoon. They prayed several different distinct times during the day, and this was the afternoon time. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Beautiful. I just have to say what, what strikes me as ironic. Here's this broken man next to the word beautiful. I just, those words hit me sometimes. I'm like, oh, and beautiful. I mean, how, did, anyway, it's, it, there's nothing deeper than that except to point it out. Uh, and the, the people that brought him there um, did so uh, apparently daily uh, to this temple gate called beautiful where he's put And here it is, every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So you get the feel of what's happening here. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, so picture this man sitting there. He couldn't stand for reasons that'll be apparent. Couldn't stand, so he sat there, perhaps slumped over, perhaps against the wall, we don't know. But he's seeing a, a flow of traffic as he did every day, several times a day. And he sees Peter and John in this flow of traffic about to enter. And he asked them for money. So we know what he's up to. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. We'll understand that sort of movement in a moment. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get some money. To get something from them. Then Peter said, silver, silver. Or gold I do not have. Presumably revealing the empty contents of his pockets. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple with them uh, walking and jumping and praising god i'm gonna add this i'm not sure he spent much time if any in the temple prior to this moment but suddenly he had legs if i may say and he leaps to his feet and he's walking and he's jumping and we can read those words calmly but this guy is having a moment right and he's screaming and hollering The words that repeat are praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same guy, the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had just happened to that guy. All right, um... Let's draw out some details before we read on, because Peter gives us plenty more to go on. But some of the details include this, Peter and John heading into the temple, as we've said, in the afternoon uh, to do what they did daily. We get that if you go back to chapter 2 and you read in verse 42 and verse verse 46 that they gathered together together. And we're committed to, devoted is the word. It's more than committed. It means commitment with passion. They were, verse 42 of chapter 2, they were devoting themselves to the apostles, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then we're told down in verse 46, every day they did it. So this is part of the, the new church, we've called it. The first church, as we've referred to it. Their practice. And that's the first little detail that's important to capture. The next one is this man who, uh, let me help you understand how long he's been doing this. We're told that it's his whole lifetime, right? He's, um, he's lame, verse 2 says, from birth. It's a birth defect, we might say today. He was born that way. And then if you were to cross over to chapter 4, verse 22, which we'll get into the details next week in chapter 4, but look at verse 22, and it tells you that the apostles are explaining, or asking the question, um, the man was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Put it together. He was born that way, and he has been that way for four decades of his life. He didn't know any other way. Um, And he was here daily doing what he does daily, and we've read it already. Uh, Verse 2 tells us, begging for money. Um, His appeal was likely a simple one. Alms, as I've said already, for the poor and lame. I, I gather that for this reason. Um, he sat in a place where people traveled past him quickly. If you picture yourself in an airport making your way to a gate before the loading finishes, the gates closed in, you <laughs> are stranded, right? So you walk with a purpose, Debbie used to tell our children when they were young. Because children love to do this when you're out for a walk. And maybe you needed to go someplace and get there. And so she would say, come on, kids, let's walk with a purpose. And they're looking at her going, purpose? What does that word mean? That comes up in second grade. I'm only two years old right now. You know, kind of a, but they say it, it's this sense of purpose. These people are going into the temple, watching their watch and realizing it's almost three. It's about time to pray. So this man didn't have time to go, hey, 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 can I chat with you? Hey, uh, pardon me, uh, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir. No, they didn't, he didn't have that time. It was simply alms for the poor and lame, alms for the poor and lame, alms for probably not even following them in with his words. So people are filing past him, and he's saying alms. He might have had a container of some kind, maybe a cup. And he's saying alms for the poor and lame alms for the poor and lame, alms for the poor and lame, and every so often there would be a jiggle, a mite maybe, something small. And at this moment we're told, I don't see it as trivial at all, that Luke draws attention to the direct eye contact that's presented in verses 4 and 5. Peter looks straight at the man, and John as well, and then Peter said, why would he say, look at us, except the man is already going on to the next potential customer. And he's, he's, they're looking straight at him as they're walking by, and they stop, and they say, look at us. And I'll bet at that moment he went, Whoosh. You see the difference? Suddenly he's, he's riveted on these two. Uh, This moment, I'm going to use a fishing analogy. Alms for the poor and lame is throwing your line, casting your line into the water. Look at us is, I got a strike. I got a strike. I'm used to a whole bunch of people going by and this is so boredom beyond belief. And suddenly I hear these words, look at us. It's like rolling your window down at the off-ramp. Now we're engaged. Now we're connected to what's going on here. And he gets not only a strike, but he's, he's filled with the possibility that he could land a catch in this moment. Peter's answer, I'm going to guess in the moment, made his heart sink. Like, what are you? One of the ones that are going to poke fun at me? Because Peter's very first words: "Silver and gold, I don't have. I ain't got what you know, what you're after. You want money? I don't have it." However, Peter's response was, "What I have, I give freely to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth." He didn't give him a handout. That would have been easy. On your way. Get in there and pray. Go home for another day. That kind of no, no. It's not that. He gave him not a handout, if you'll pardon the expression we use today. We're even told a hand up, right? Um then came a sight. I put myself there as I do all the time in these stories in the Bible. And if you were there, you had seen this, it's doubtful you would have ever forgotten the words that begin in verse 7 we already read. In that instant, the man's feet and ankles became strong. I don't know what it looked like, but I know I would have never forgotten what it looked like. He suddenly, we're told, instantly strong enough to stand up, Peter extends his hand, he jumps to his feet and begins to walk. He had never done this in 40 years. Then he went with them into the temple. Didn't do that either. Walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising, they recognized him as that guy, the man. They were filled with, of course, wonder and amazement. What just happened here to this man? Not surprisingly, the crowd is astonished. Um, It's a a really strong word. Um, It it represents and it supports the reason that we're told they ran. That's what they did when they saw him. They they ran outside and they wanted a close-up look at this man and what had just happened in their mind to the lame beggar. I don't even know if his name's Bill or John or Steve. I don't know. I just know him by his identified limitation. It's getting close, huh? This is getting real. Um, Then Peter does something he already did a chapter ago, and we covered this two weeks ago. With this massive crowd gathered, uh, he... um, Look at verse 11. While the people held on to, while the, excuse me, the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and they came running to the three of them in a place called Solomon's Portico, which is Portico, it's, uh, think porch. It's the word we use today. More on that in a minute. So they go running out there and um, the look of on face after face, had the question, what is this all about? What just happened here? Um, So Peter seizes the moment. If you want a reference that happened just a chapter ago, chapter 2, verse 14, the moment the Holy Spirit arrived in Pentecost, Peter was the one that stood up and did the same thing. Y'all have crazy curiosity on your faces. There's a massive mystery, and I'm going to explain to you that mystery. He does so again here, beginning in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Boy, did that resonate with them. Has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over, referring to Jesus, to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had, des- he, he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy One. I'm just going to say, those are not popular s- things to m- say in a sermon. You know, it's like this. Picture this. You, when he he starts into this, um, that you were the ones that handed him over to be killed. You are the ones who disowned him. It happens again. Here's a third time. You disowned the Holy One of his, uh, the Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be released to you instead of him. Everybody's gathering up their stuff and ready to go. Because you just defended, you stepped on our toes. I don't care if it's true or not. I don't want to hear it from you. Dicey moment. You killed the author of life. He's not finished, verse 15. But God raised him from the dead. Amen. We are witnesses of this. Verse 16 is towering in importance. By faith in the name of that Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. It is in Jesus' name and with faith that comes through him that has completely healed this man, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted. You did all of those things in ignorance as you as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all of the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God. This is, not, this is not a time to look at that and go, wow, that's interesting, I hadn't connected that. No, it's meant to stab you with conviction in your heart and say, repent, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshment may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago. Look at this list of important people through his holy prophets. For Moses said, Wow, that's a big name in their past. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Verse 23. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, he picks up now with Samuel. Beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken, uh, who have, spoken have foretold these days. And you are their heirs, the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. Then finally, he picks up on Abraham. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up Jesus, his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Sermon finished. Audience stunned in silence. Um, Peter is making some really important, sweeping statements. The first being, we didn't heal this guy. It's not me and it's not John. Don't stare at me like I'm something big or important. I'm not. And then he goes up right away to say, you know something, let me clarify something. The God who healed this man did so to bring glory to his servant son, Jesus. That's verse 13. God did this. And then Peter reminds the people that he was talking about a certain Jesus that they, this is the hardest part of his whole message, they had a hand in murdering. And, and, and yet God raised him to life again. This is the God that preordained and planned all of this. You just simply carried it out. You were the people on the ground that that took his life. Um, This is the, the one he refers to, we've read it already, as the servant. That would be right out of Isaiah 53, right? He is the suffering servant. He was known as that. This is the one who is the holy and righteous one. I love verse 15 in this text. He's talking about Jesus as the prince of life, the giver of life. You took his life. Theological truth be told, he gave his life. You didn't have the authority to take it. Um, But then he says again, Jesus is how this man is healed, was healed. Verse 16. That's how come he's healed. That Jesus was the Messiah who suffered and died and was raised to life again. And he did it for, he, just like his own, Peter's own message in chapter 1, he wants the people to see their role in this. Um, this is a hard thing for us in modern America, if not the world today. We want to read a story like this and go, "Well, wow, that was a bad thing those people did. You hear my pronoun there? It's actually accurate and inaccurate. Those people are we people. Those people are us people. See? It goes from those really rotten people that put Jesus on the cross is only part of the story. Until it gets personal and we realize, nah, it was me. I had a role in Jesus being put on the cross. That changes everything. Because it, it takes me away from, wow, I bet those guys were ticked when they heard Peter say that. To, wait. Remember the old hymn, we're not going to sing it this morning, were you there when they... Crucified my Lord. What's the answer? It's okay to say it. Yeah. There's blood on your hands. My hands. Our hands. It takes it out of the history lesson. And makes it his story lesson in our lives. You see that? It's, it's, a, it's a changer, and, and he tells us why this was done. I want, you, I want you to look at verse 19 because it picks up on some of the benefits that his death can potentially have, my words are careful right now, in your life and mine. They do not automatically have, there is no pixie dust in Christianity. Here, let me blow enough your way, and it lands on you just a little speck and you're good to go. Not true. You can't find another way except the Jesus way. And so all of that, all that news is meant to cause you and me to do what verse 19 introduces. Repent then and turn to God. See the word so that next in the text? For the purpose of, if you repent and turn to God, the following outcomes are intended to happen in your life. That's how this reads, verse 19. The first, your sins will be wiped out. What's the word we use for sins being wiped out? Forgiveness, right? They'll be clean. It's etch-a-sketch, you're cleaned. Your sins are wiped out. Secondly, times of refreshment, he says, will come from the Lord. That's renewal. Forgiveness leads to renewal. I met Jesus and I'm brand new. Old things have passed away. It's like I was held underwater about to drown and, and, and I popped up and I can breathe and I can live. And then he, then he adds, and, and we can look forward to the return of Jesus. God will send Jesus for you. That's the final restoration still to come. So I need to ask a question to make sure it's about us and not about them. Have you turned, repented, turned to God, and had your sins wiped out? Um, You've got to work on that question. You've got to stay with that question. It's an important, it's life and death question. It's that important. Um, ref- refreshment won't come without Repentance. People want to feel better about their lives. Who doesn't? I do. But the only pathway to feeling better, to be renewed, if you want to call that better, is to repent, to own my part, to say I did it. Um, There's a great summary statement. I want to read this to you from, you don't have to turn there, it's from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul sort of summarizes um, the last thing that was talked about here, The the, he'll stay in heaven until he comes again, okay? Well, the Apostle Paul said that that day um, will bring the following, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will bring judgment on those who do not know God and those who refuse the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, who say, no, I'm too proud, I'm too whatever, but I'm not going to bow the knee and I'm not going to repent. And pastor, for the record, I'm not going to take upon myself What they did to him. Please don't believe that corrupt thinking. The goal of this pastor or any pastor that's teaching the truth is not to make you feel bad, but to make you see that what was done there would have been, I have blamed Adam and Eve forever. How many have? Gosh, what was she thinking when she ate? And frankly, what was he doing when he should have stopped her? Right? And we tease about that, and we complain about that. But you know what? That could have just as well been Steve and Debbie. And I'm not making a point about marriage. I'm just saying, put your name there. And if you don't, there's a great risk. You'll miss, you'll miss all of this. Back to the quote, 2 Thessalonians. People that refuse to repent because they say, no, that's, this happened long ago. It's not about me. I'm going to argue one thing right now. 100% of this book called the Bible is about you and about me. Paul even says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for us, our instruction. That through perseverance and encouragement from the scriptures, we might have hope. How do we have hope? Go back to God's word. And find that hope in the giver of hope. i, I got to finish this quote. Refusing to do so, they will be punished with everlasting destruction forever, separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. When He comes on that day that we just read about, He will receive glory from His holy people, praise from all who believe. Amen. Peter spent all his time preaching to these people. I just want to give you an image that you won't forget. I, did, I, I actually stepped it off this, this Solomon's porch. It's basically Grace Point, the church, the worship center. It's column to column, about 30 feet wide. It's 90 feet long, which is pretty much our ushers on the back wall there, all the way past the cross here behind me. Uh, We have a microwave there to heat up lunch in the back room. It's kind of there, all right? So it's that long. Get this. It's not A-frame like a chalet that our building is. It's vertical, 45 feet. So it's probably 15 feet taller, but if you kicked up this to like that. They're all gathered there, presumably thousands. So much for social distancing, right? (laughs) And they're there, riveted on what Peter is saying. He's got something here. I better listen to this. And they run outside and we're to this place called Solomon's Colonnade or his porch. It's right next to the temple and it's, it's really impressive. So, um, and they're there and they're taking it in and they're, they're, they're hearing him explain the things that I'm trying to re-explain today. Now I want to bring it to a finish. By focusing on something that has bothered me since reading this story. You probably sense it already. In fact, truth be told, a number of things bother me about this story. Um, uh, Something that struck me about this, um, the healing of this man, was the Bible's use of the words lame and beggar. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm being a little too sensitive and politically correct. Um, I did some checking, and it's actually worded differently elsewhere. Um, I suspect you're, I'm not the only one that found it a little cringeworthy to read. He was lame, and he was a beggar. Um, so both words, I looked them up. Lame and beggar, and they are, in fact, derogatory today. You won't win friends at the freeway off-ramp. Hey, hey, lame guy, come here. Hey, beggar. You see, it's offensive. Pushes people on their heels. Words like mobility impaired are preferred today. Even handicapped is used today. Um... But I mean no offense by repeating those words, lame or beggar. Especially when I thought further about the man. And what was he there doing? He was begging. No trick question here. What was he begging for? Money he was begging for money we're even told that Um, and if you've ever been penniless there's no shame in, in in begging for help you don't even think well you know I got in this spot myself I better just buck up and get out of it you don't think that way um but here's, listen closely. There's great shame if your request for assistance is much smaller than your need. Um, and this man, that day, begged for what he begged for for, for a long time subsistence right enough to get by enough to make it through the day which tells me tragically that he was willing to settle for less much less eternally less than he received isn't that true I just want a couple of pennies. But he got more than money. Stay with me. He got more, way more than money. He was healed. But wait, there's more. Right? We just read it. He went home in a different space than than anything money could possibly have given him. He went home in a different space than he had ever gone home before with. He went home walking and jumping and most remarkable of all, of all and it repeats twice, praising God, which tells me this, he made the connection. Because he had a chance, maybe a temptation, to say, Peter, John, don't leave me, man. I need you. If you just did this for me, I'll bet you can do a bunch more for me. Right? Can we meet here daily? You know. But instead, we're told he's 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 praising God. He's giving glory to God, which tells me that he made. The right connection. We'd all agree that healing was better, but salvation was the best, right? You you gotta see a man that left the temple that day. We're never told if he got any money. I don't think he cared. He got well. But I don't think that was the big deal. I think he went home whole in a relationship with the God that did this miracle for him. Read again verse 16. That's the deal. One further takeaway this morning. Peter preached a compelling sermon stating that um, what everyone saw happen that day was because of Jesus and the obvious implication is if Jesus heals people that man would say he did then imagine what he might do in your life my life I leave you with two of my favorite scriptures that want you to imagine don't just hear it as a suggestion from a pastor Ask and you will receive, says Jesus, recorded in Matthew 7, 7 to 8, or Luke 11. You can read it there. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks has the door open to them. Then the Apostle Paul came along and says this in recognition of that. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory. Now and for all times. Amen. Amen. you bow your heads with me Uh, we're going to sing a song that I'm sure this man sang I think we know what the man had in his heart that day uh, because we're told it a praise that could not be contained or concealed it was it was abundant and overflowing he had been healed And he now knew who healed him. And everywhere he went, and everyone he met, he likely said something to the effect I was broken, and he made me whole. I was, I was handicapped, and He healed me. And I'll bet He sang and talked and told of the joy that filled His heart every chance He got. We have a similar song that shares similar joy. How great Thou art. And just like the man didn't probably sing it ever again, sitting down, I'm going to enjoy standing with you as we sing and are led in song, How Great Thou Art. Make it personal, my God, my God, how great thou art. Let's stand together.